Then I'm going to do this before I start teaching, and then I'll just I'll just go. Uh, cleaning ministry tomorrow at nine. If you if you're available and you want to come and help with that, I think that we had an army here last week, and that's awesome. We get we get a lot done. And then if there's enough people, we get other things done. Things that are Patrick would love to 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 work on. Um, so if there's extra people, there's always extra things to do. Mission conference. Make sure you've got that on your calendar. You do not want to miss the mission conference. Um, it will not be, it, it's not like our revival last year. It'll be a different setting, but we're going to have four different speakers, uh, preachers each night. We'll have a different preacher and then we'll have some different ministries and missionaries that'll be presenting their work. And we'll be talking more and more about our faith uh, promise giving uh, to our mission budget. And then from there, where does that money go? Who, do we, who are we going to support with that? So all of that is things that we're going to be looking at in that mission conference. So Sunday night, the, the May 1st through Wednesday night, May 4th, and then we'll do the meal on May, on May 4th, that Wednesday night, with a, a taste of the nations. So I hope you'll think about maybe, maybe you can figure out a meal to bring from another land or somebody, man, some, maybe your family heritage is something. Uh, you've got ancestors in another country, and you can figure out some dish to bring from that, maybe there's a, a dish you have in your family, uh, Randy. I don't know what your heritage is, but I know you make bread. You can make some of that homemade bread. So, the taste of the nations. We want to have a lot of different things there. Now, I'm gonna uh, Jesse. See you up there. Oh, he went out. Okay. I don't think they're. I don't know if they're watching or not. All right, so I'm back. All right, got that coming around. Let's, uh, let's go back to pick up where we left off. We're going to be in verse 9. We're in, in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 9. You know, I think when you're probably looking at this going, boy, this is going to go slow, and it is. Until we get through the churches, it will. Once we get through the churches, because I was, I was telling somebody the other day, I, ought to, I should have held the churches out and just preached through them on Sunday morning. There's so much in here as we look at the churches and the things that are applicable to our lives today. So um, that could have easily been Sunday morning message series, uh, but, but we're going to do it in here. And uh, so we're picking up at verse 9. This is where we left off, this is where we left off last week. And, and so the type, what I would say here in, in beginning this is, is that Jesus knows his people in their suffering. Verse 9 says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So here Jesus uh, says that he knows three things. The first thing he says, he knows their tribulation. And we're, I mean, he knows their works. We're not going to dwell on the works. We're going we're to go right to the tribulation. He knows their tribulation. And what could be more comforting to the church in Smyrna than Jesus saying to them, I know your tribulation. That's a great comfort. Now, tribulation means crushing beneath a weight. That's the idea of that word. It's affliction. 
And the pressure of events is on the church there in Smyrna. And so tribulation is painful and it'll wear you down. If you've gone through troubles and everybody in here can testify to something in your life, there's a time of troubles. You may be going through troubles right now. It could be a health situation. It could be a spiritual battle. It could be a financial issue, whatever it may be. But there's tribulations, these tribulations that come along. And these things can be painful and they can wear us down. But Jesus doesn't trivialize their suffering. He doesn't do that. You know, he doesn't come to them saying, well, listen, guys, it really isn't all that bad. It's really, I mean, if you think about it, it's not that bad. He doesn't trivialize it. He doesn't demean them. He doesn't say, you know, if you were stronger, it wouldn't bother you so much. He doesn't take that approach. And he doesn't cheapen their experience by offering unsympathetic advice. A lot of times people will do that, what you're going through. The people will say things that are unsympathetic. The Lord doesn't do that. Jesus dignifies their suffering with the simple and comforting words that I know your tribulation. He knows what they're going through. One of the most discouraging um, effects of suffering is that we feel alone. And if you've gone through a difficult time, I mean, that's one of the things. We feel alone. We feel like, man, you know, nobody else is in this right now. And we, we, can, have, we can have that Elijah, right? We can feel kind of like Elijah. I'm the only one. I'm the only one standing firm. And, and that's not the case. It's never the case. And the Lord is with us. Uh, but when Jesus tells the church at Smyrna that he knows their tribulation, he's reminding them of his presence with them and that they're not alone. There's great, great comfort in that. And folks, when we go through tribulation in life, we have to hold to that. One of my favorite verses, I quote it often. I quote it when I go to the hospital. If I ever come and pray with you at the hospital, I promise you, I'll probably be praying this verse. The Lord promises us. He tells us he'll never leave us and never forsake us. Your closest friend may betray you. Your family members may turn on you. But the Lord Christ will never leave you. That, that, the idea of that leaving and forsaking is turning his back on and walking away. He never does that with us. And so it's so comforting to them that in their tribulation, he says, I know your tribulation. I know what's going on. The second thing that Jesus knows is their poverty. He knows their poverty. Now, in the New Testament, poverty and Christianity are closely connected. We see that. Uh, he said, blessed, you know, when you think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, blessed are you who are poor. Paul described the Christians in Corinth as being poor yet making many rich. Uh, James speaks of God choosing the poor in this world to be rich in faith. So there's a lot of hand-to-hand -hand walking together of Christianity and poverty. Now, in Greek, there are two words for poverty. One is panea, and it describes the state of those who are not wealthy and who, as the Greeks defined it, must satisfy their need with their own hands. So these are people who, they don't have anything, but they're working, they're able to provide with their needs, but they're in poverty, they're poor. Uh, the, the other word is tohia, and it describes complete uh, 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 destitution. It, it, it's completely there without anything, and and. It's been put this way. So Pania describes the state of someone who has nothing unnecessary. Okay, they have the the the, the bare. I, I would I would say us in America we don't know anything about that. We don't know anything about that kind of poverty because that kind of poverty says that you know they have what they have. Everything they have are the necessities just to survive. And I've been some places in this world. I think about Honduras and I think about Tajikistan. Um, I, I was in homes that everything they had had a purpose. They didn't have any trivial 
things as, as many of us do. We wouldn't understand this, this type of poverty. But the other one, the word to, tohia, it, uh, it describes the state of someone who has nothing at all. And this is the word that's used here. So when the Lord is talking about Smyrna, he's talking about their tribulations. They're in tribulation. They're going through this. He knows of that, but he also knows their poverty. He knows what, that they, they don't have anything. Now, the poverty of the Christians was probably due to two things. The first being the fact that most of them belonged to the, the lower classes of society. And, and there was a large gap between the top and the bottom of the social scale. And so most of the Christians of that day, a lot, many, many, many of the Christians would have been in this place. There was not what we know today as a middle class. So, so it was just a different thing. So we understand that would have been a part of it. But the other one is this, that sometimes they suffered from the plundering of their possessions. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. Hebrews 10, 34 says, For you had com compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. We read it right there in Scripture that Christians were plundered. So there were times when a mob would suddenly attack Christians and, and wreck their homes. And so life wasn't easy for a Christian. Things may be going just fine. They may not have any trouble for a while. And then all of a sudden somebody gets, they, they just get crazy and they decide they want to turn on the Christians. And they would. And they could plunder. They could do whatever they wanted to. So life was not easy uh, for a Christian in Smyrna or anywhere else for that matter in, in the ancient world. And Jesus says to them, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. And this means that the true Lord of Lords, the, the, the real King of Kings, the one to whom Caesar is going to bow the knee, he knows them. He knows their needs. And then he adds, but you are rich. Now, and then, now that, that sounds like, boy, that sounds like a patronizing statement. But it's, a, it's an actual, that's a fact statement. And it's keeping our eyes on the eternal when we understand this. So it's the same paradox expressed by Paul when he described himself in 2 Corinthians 16. He says, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Look, for us as a believer, though we may not have what the world counts as wealth, you know, what we do have is in reality wealth. If we're a believer, we've got the greatest wealth there is. And if we don't have anything on this earth, it's the smacking in face of the, of, the, of the prosperity gospel. This idea that if you're a Christian, you know, you're gonna, God's going to bless you with stuff. He's going to pour that on you. That's a lie, folks, out of the pit of hell. It's a lie of the pit of hell. You don't find that. You find that we're going to suffer. We're going to be poor. We're going to be, I mean, it, it's going to, there's nothing in scripture that indicates it's going to be easy. What we have is though Lord promises you'll never go through it alone. He's with us. And the, and the fact is, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but think back to this when we, when we get ahead here in a moment, when he's talking about, about their tribulation, their persecution, you'll see this. Um, so Jesus is refocusing their attention. And their attention, it seems like their attention may be in the right place. They, they kind of get this, but he's refocusing their attention. And it's the same thing with us. We need that refocusing. We need to look back at the word. And sometimes we need a, you know, a little shake and go, oh, oh, okay. I've got my eyes on the world. I need to get my eyes back on Jesus. And so he's refocusing their attention away from the worldly standards and reminding them of what really matters. So tonight, brothers and sisters, we are rich because we 
because we have what saves eternally. You know, I, 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 hear, I hear Christians, now don't get me wrong, I want whatever God has for me. Amen? People talk about taxes. I don't mind paying ta taxes. I, I don't like paying a whole lot of taxes, and I think there's so much that's foolish, and when I see where they spend the money, um, that makes me not like spending, but, but, that, but I like riding on good roads. You know, I, I like some of the things that, that government, that God has set up and established, some of the things they do for us. I like us being protected, but I don't like paying those things. Um, but I want whatever God has for me. And if that means a mansion in glory, I'm all, I'm, if that's what he wants for me, great. But I can tell you, that ain't my motivation. It's not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, in, that, in that sense, I'm just not really a materialistic person. That, that doesn't concern me. When I look at heaven and we hear about the, you know, it says the street of gold. It doesn't say streets of gold. It says the street of gold. And I don't know if, I, I haven't studied that out fully, but there's, some, there's something significant to that. But the fact is, God puts, paves the road with gold. The thing that we think is so valuable. Oh, we want gold, gold, gold. And he paves the road with it. I mean, it's paving material. Um, now, it's still, it's in heaven, so it's, a, it's, it's an incredible thing. But that's what he paves the road with. And if, if all I get, if all I get in glory is a well done, thou good and faithful servant, I'll be happy. I'm that golden retriever, and if the Lord pats me on the head and rubs me behind the ears and says, well done. And, and so my desire in my life and what I as a preacher hope to exhort you to do is to live your life in a way that you can hear well done. And so if you want to hear well done, you got to well do, right? So that's the idea is, is that we, we've got to well do. And so whatever God has for me in glory is incredible. But the fact that I know, I have assurance, I know what God's done in my life. And I know when I die, I know where I'm going to be. And I hope I don't die. I hope God raptures us out of here before I have to, I don't, I don't want to die, okay? I don't, I, I'm not scared of death, but I'd rather not die. I'd rather be raptured out. I know I got one in here that agrees with me. So I want, I want, I want to experience that. That's, I want to go through that. I want that. But if I get to spend eternity with God, and I get to work for him. I mean, people go, oh, Chris Sheets, where are you at? He's walking out. You can walk out. That's fine. Chris Sheets. So Chris Sheets is the beard of knowledge. Okay, so when you see Chris, go just call him the beard of knowledge from now on. So we went to the Space Center last week, last Thursday, I guess it was, and we got to experience something really, really cool. We got to watch the, the rocket come out, and Chris loves space. He can tell you all about that. But Chris said, man, if they would pay me, if they would let me come over here and just sweep the floors, I would do it. You know, because that's something he's very passionate about. I'm telling you, if I get to be a janitor in glory, working for the King of kings and Lord of lords for all of eternity, just taking out the trash, I'll take it. All right? You good? I mean, that's it. That's what it should be. And that's what the Lord's doing here is he's, he's, he's putting their focus where it needs to be. If you have Christ, you are rich indeed. That's what he's telling me. You are rich. Now, the third thing that Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, Smyrna that he knows is, he knows the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So now the Romans... And there's a lot of different takes on this. I'm going to share with you what, as I studied, this is what, I, what, I, what I've gathered here. 
Okay, so the, the Romans had granted the Jews an exemption from, re, from required participation in the Roman imperial, imperial cult and into that worship. So the Jews didn't have to participate in that. So in other words, you know, they didn't have to take part. They didn't have to do the things that everybody else was required to. The Jews had some special exemption in there, and everyone else was required to participate. So obviously, Christians would not want to participate with the Romans in their idolatrous festivals and celebrations. Celebrations and those things. They wouldn't want to take part in that. And so the Jewish blasphemy in view here probably has to do with the Jews denouncing Christians. Now, they've turned on them. You know, we know that. We see that when you read this. The Jews turned on the Christians. They don't, they're not following Jesus. The, the Jews aren't. And so they were turning on them. And they were turning them in and telling the, the Romans, hey, they're not a part of us. They're not an, uh, under us in any way. Because you understand, early on, it looked like that. There were some things where they weren't real sure what was going on. The Christians are still going into the synagogue. Paul went in there all the time to preach and teach. But um, we're getting a glimpse here of what, you know, like what went on in Acts chapter 18. And so go and read that, and you'll see how they began to tr- treat Christians, how they're treating the church And so as long as Christianity was under this Jewish umbrella, the Christians were also exempt from required participation in that growing Roman imperial cult worship. So if the Jews began to denounce the Christians to the Romans, arguing that they weren't weren't Jews at all, then Christians who refused to participate in Roman idolatry could face retribution. So it was, there would have been part of this could be the Jews turning on them in that way with the Romans. And so... um, Something like this seems to be going on here in Smyrna. And Jesus says that he knows the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews. Now, they say they are Jews. Now, we would look at them and go, yeah, they're worshiping as Jews. They're Jews. They're Jewish. They're Jews. But watch what, this, what, what goes on here. And are not. He says they're not. They say they're Jews. They're still worshiping as Jews. They're still doing Judaism. And they're identifying as Jews, but Jesus says they say they're Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And he says what you're not, and he says what they are. And so what happens here, this is very interesting. See, Jesus denies the status of Jew to those who do not serve the Jewish king, Jesus himself. And that's what he's saying. Because he, he, he identifies their true allegiance. They, they, they are those now that gather in synagogues to celebrate Satan's kingdom, not God's. And there's a turn here. They had opportunity. They rejected their Messiah. And now they're not following God. They're not serving God because to serve God, they would need to be serving Christ because the kingdom is moving forward now as, with Christ the lead. So God's kingdom is advancing with Jesus at, at, the, at its head. And so all who oppose Jesus are allied with darkness. They're serving in a rebel kingdom whose Lord is a liar and a murderer and, and who hates those who serve Jesus. Now, our Lord said that those who are not for him are against him. And Jesus here calls them a synagogue of Satan. And it's interesting because the Jews like to talk about they were the synagogue of, uh, they were the, 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 the synagogue of the Lord, synagogue of God. They, were, they, they, they joyed in that. They took pride in that, that they were the assembly of the Lord. He says, no, you're the synagogue of Satan. This is Jesus So understand, I stand with Israel. 
But I don't have, we don't have any misconceptions that Jews are somehow, the Jew of today, they are rejecting Christ. They're living in a state today of rejecting Christ. No different than the Muslim, no different than the, the, the heathen in America that just lives for self, the, the idolatry of me. Jesus said in, uh, in John 8, 44, he told the Jewish opponents there, he said that they were, they were of their father, the devil. So he, he calls them out for who they are. So then we come to verse 10, Revelation 2.10. Jesus calls here, he calls his people to be faithful unto death. So having stated that he knows that they are face, what they are facing, Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, he says, Do not fear any of those things which, are, are, which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and, and you will have tribulation ten days. So we should note several things here before we read the rest of the verse. The first is this. He tells them, do not fear what they're about to suffer. Now, that, that's hard. That's hard, isn't it? Um, but it's not. It's not. I mean, it is and it's, and it's not. You know, we, we've talked about like with even something as simple as COVID. I mean, COVID was going on. And right now, I don't know what's going to happen. If there's going to be flare-ups from that, I pray not but I've, I've gone two years and I've not feared it. I haven't feared it. From the start, I've not feared it. We, we've, we, early on, you didn't understand some things, so you respect it. But there's never been a, a place of fear. And I remember a pastor friend of mine said this. He said, well, I, you know, I don't know about COVID. He said, I don't know if I'm, I don't, it's out there. I don't know if I'm going to get it. But if I get it, I don't think I'm going to die. He said, but if I do get it, if I do get it, I, you know, and I die, then okay, I'm with the Lord. So, but I'm not going to live in fear of this. And so when I think about that, when I think about the statement, do not fear, when we're following the Lord and we're walking in step with him, we won't have to fear. We, we can be realistic about life. We can be realistic about the things going on. And he says, do not fear. And he, he's already announced himself that he's the first and the last who died and came to life. Okay, so he's already said, I'm the first and the last. I'm eternal both ways. I'm, 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 I'm eternal, period. And I've already died. I came back to life. Uh, and then he assures them that he knows what they're, they're suffering, what they're going through. He knows who their enemies are. He said this. And because he is uh, of who he is and because he will be with them through the suffering, they can be free from fear. You know, when you know, when, but again, it's having your focus in the right place. When, when our eyes are on the Lord, he's awfully big. And he is big. But when we keep our eyes on him, we realize how big he is. The problem comes in, Peter, Peter on the water. He got out and he walked on the water. But what did Peter do? He got his eyes off the Lord. And he got his eyes on the lightning and the wind and the big waves. And he's going, how did I get here? Because he got his eyes off of the Lord. You keep your eyes on the Lord and, and your problems aren't going to be that big because he's a whole lot bigger than any problem we've got. So the first thing he says is do not fear. And we can, we can do that. We don't have to fear. The second, he identifies uh, who is at work in their suffering. Okay, So he says the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. So it's the devil that's working in this. So there's no question here about who is right and who is wrong in this situation. And there's no suggestion that, 
uh, from Jesus that they should change their ministry approach. He doesn't say today they ought to change their message. Oh, you guys there in Smyrna, y'all are preaching the gospel. You're preaching it strong. You know what? You're offending some people. You need, to, you need to lighten up. You need to lighten up on that. Jesus is the only way stuff. None of that. Jesus doesn't go there. There's none of that mamby-pamby nonsense suggesting that maybe if the Christians would be less dogmatic or maybe if they were you know, more open to the, the, the possibility that, they, that, that there were more than one way to go to heaven, that, then they wouldn't be suffering so much. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't suggest that at all. What they're doing, they're doing right. And we'll find, as you've read this, as we read through this, we don't see anywhere where the Lord rebukes this church. He understands where they're at. They're living for him. They're walking with him. And he does not rebuke them. And so the Lord doesn't give any of that garbage about you need to change what you're doing because apparently what they were doing was right. They were preaching the word. They were holding to truth. And so Jesus here, he recognizes who the enemy is. And it's clear uh, that those who oppose his people are diabolical. That's, that's, what he, that's what he's saying. The devil is about to have them arrested. It is Satan who is doing this. And uh, the third thing then we find here is there is a purpose statement following the announcement that the opposition comes from Satan. So he says, look, don't fear. The devil's about to throw some of you into prison. And he says, what? There's a purpose for this that you may be tested. So I don't think this is a, a satanic purpose. This is God's purpose. He's using this. It's like Revelation 17, 17 says, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose. So the, this is the Lord's, the Lord is, is using Satan here. Satan's a pawn in, in what God is doing. So, uh, I mean, God is, yeah, he's, Satan's a pawn in what God is doing. So God is using the devil's uh, persecution to test and prove his people. And when his people come through the test, God is glorified, for only God could preserve them. Amen? Folks, when we go through, uh, you know, we talk about scriptures of, of count it all joy. I, I've, heard, I've heard, actually heard a lot, of, excuse me, a lot of talk about that verse the last few weeks. Um, and just different conversations and had opportunity to get into some conversations with folks. You know, when, when James tells us to count it all joy, James, James meant, you know what he meant? He meant count it all joy. Because James goes on to explain what those testings and those trials and those tribulations, they produce patience, they produce maturity in our lives. If we went around the room tonight, if I went around this room and said, share something from your past that you really wouldn't want to go through again, but you wouldn't trade it because of the way God used it in your life. That, that's what we're talking about. And so here's where, folks, if we can really get spiritual. Now, I'm not talking about fake spiritual. I'm talking about really walking with God, keeping our eyes on God, and have a real understanding of what he's doing. Real, it's Helen, Helen Rosevere who went through being raped and brutally treated for like a month. And then later on, and I read this quote a couple weeks ago where she said, she said, I have to ask this question as though the Lord himself asked me, can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? You know what that is? That's maturity. And that's when we understand, and I've got a book that Claire read it, and she's given it to me. It's on my. It's in, it's number two in my queue right now, 
to read that one next. But I, I want to read through that and, and because I, I promise you the things God did in her life, there's things that he did through that and, and because of that. And so what we've got to learn is, you know, it goes back again. Everything that happens in my life, God either brings it or allows it, right? That's the truth. He's, there, he's in control. So he's either allowing it in my life or he may bring it in my life. If I'm in sin, he may bring something to chastise and bring me back. But it may be that, that, that he allows, I mean, he allowed, we just talked about shake and bake, right? We talked about Peter, that the, Satan asked for Peter that he could sift him. He could shake him out and he could shake his faith. And, and the Lord didn't say, but Peter, I put up a hedge of protection around you. He said, Peter, I prayed for you. Peter's Peter didn't even hear him. Peter goes right to, Lord, I'd never. You know, he just continued with his, with his, with his pride. Peter looked back on that. I, 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 thought just hit me. You know, I used to say Peter in heaven would be running around telling everybody about walking on water. Now, he'd probably be talking about that experience right there or something like that. Well, let me tell you how God humbled me. He never could have used me. He, 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 there's so much I could not have done if he didn't humble me. And he allowed me to go through this thing and be tried and my faith shaken. And it's got the pride out of my life. And, and, and he would not have been who he was and what he did for God. He couldn't have done those things if he hadn't gone through that, right? What about Job? Horrible situation. Horrible situation. There's nothing great about that. But we can, even in the midst of something like that, we can go, God's in control. God is in control. God never leaves me, never forsakes me. He knows what I'm going through. He hasn't abandoned me. If we hold on to that too often, though, we, wanna, we, we question, God, where were you? We're Martha and Mary. Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Why would you abandon me? Why would you... No, that's the maturity of this. That's how we can count it all joy when bad things happen, is we can go, God knows about it. And I know the promise of Scripture is going to use it for good in my life. That, when we get to that place, that's a great place of maturity. It's a great place of maturity. So God's using this to grow them. The fourth thing here, Jesus tells them, he says, and you will uh, have tribulation 10 days. Now, it seems that 10 days here points to a certain but limited amount of time. So don't read this. I don't read it and think it's a literal reference to 10, 24-hour days. Um, they may wind up in prison for longer than that. They may be in, they, some may be in there for weeks or months or years. Who knows? God only knew. But what he was saying, as far as what I've studied, everyone seems to agree here, that what the Lord was saying is there'll be a set period. You're going to be in prison for a period, but it's going to end. That's the point to it. It will come to an end. And it's relatively short. Ten days? Now, I don't want to go to jail for ten minutes. The thought of those doors shutting behind you, I, I, that's kept me honest for a long time. I don't want no part of jail. I don't want no part of that. Um, but ten days, if you've got to go to prison and you know it's going to be short, and what the Lord says here is, look, it's short. You're going to go. You're going, to, you're going to experience it, but it is going to come to an end. And when you compare other things in Revelation, in chapter 20, we see a thousand years. So the Lord says, you know, you're going, to, you're going to be thrown into prison, and it's for 10 days. Tribulation here for 10 days. And so they know, you know, they can hold out. 
what they're knowing, everything the Lord has already said, they can hold out to the end because it is a relatively short period of time, and Jesus knows how long it will last. Uh, it will come, and it will end. That's a, that's a great thing to know. He doesn't say, hey, tribulation's coming, and I don't know how long you're going to be in it. it could, I, I, I just don't know. He says, 10 days. They know it's going to end. It's going to end. That's what they'd hold to. And, uh, and then we get this incredible command, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, only Jesus could make that kind of a demand. Amen? Only Jesus could. Uh, only Jesus has the authority necessary to place this kind of obligation upon a person. But he did. He told them, you be faithful unto death. Some of you are going to face tribulation. Some of you are going to be, be thrown into prison. Some of you are going to face death. He said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Only Jesus has the ability to repay those who, who would obey this command. And the command to be faithful unto death, listen to this, proclaims that it is more important to be faithful to Jesus than it is to go on living. That's what he's saying. It's more important to be faithful to Jesus than it is to go on living. And I think about, again, I, my mind has, I've dwelled on these Christians that were marched out on that beach in Libya, and I've shared this a couple of times. The, those 20 Christians or so who they put them on their knees and one by one they went down the list and they offered them, uh, you know, renounce your faith in Christ and, uh, and you can live. And not a one did. And they, I mean, imagine that. They're cutting the guy's head off next to you and they come to you and say, renounce your faith. And not a one of them did it. And those guys understood and I believe in martyr's grace. I believe in dying grace. I believe God will give us what we need in those times. If we're walking with him, I believe he'll give us that. And uh, I, I pray that if I face that, I would, I would not cower in that moment, but I would stand for him. And uh, I, Philip Doddridge, who lived in the 1700s, he died in 1751, he wrote this. He said, I am more afraid of doing uh, what is wrong than of dying. He had, a, he had an understanding of living this life for Christ, how important it is. He said, I'm not scared of dying. I'd be more scared of living this life wrong. So Jesus is worth dying for. Amen? Now, if he's worth dying for, then he's, he's worth living for. Amen? You know, if he's worth dying for, he's worth living for. And uh, only those who are, who, who are gripped by something worth more to them than life can be truly courageous. You know, if, if, we, if we think this life is more valuable, it's more important than Christ, we're, we, we may not be able to be courageous in that. And it's one of those things where, you know, we got to nail that down in our hearts that, listen, Christ, I, he's worth dying for. He died for us. The least we can do is live our lives for him. And if living my life for him means dying for him, he's worth dying for. And if he's worth dying for, he's worth living for. Um, Mark 8, 35, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. That sounds contradictory. Whoever loses his life 
So whoever dies for my sake in the Gospels will save his life. There's a great promise right there. There, there, there's, there's, a, there's a great, and we're going to learn about the martyrs and their place. There's going to be some interesting things to look at there. So Jesus promises life to those who are faithful unto death. He says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So the only way to live, uh, the only way to life is death. Death to self, death to sin, and, and then you'll be dead to the world and dead to fear. We, we too often in America... American Christians, and again, we're caught up in the prosperity gospel that God's obligated because I follow him to, to bless me and to give me stuff. And, and, you know, I'm supposed to drive a really nice car. I'm supposed to, but our prosperity in America, oh, just in general, has created a lot of problems in, our, in, 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 our, in, our, in American Christianity. Todd could probably come up and speak for 10 minutes on that right there having lived in Africa for, how long were y'all over there? Three, four, three years? Three years. And, and, you know, I've traveled enough. I didn't live over there, but I've traveled enough to see it. And you come back to America, and it's just a different attitude. And our prosperity in America is our greatest, it's probably the, the greatest hindrance to our, to our faith in America. Revelation 2.11, Jesus promises his people life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. 1 John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Those that overcome, those, that, those over, overcomers, he who overcomes, those are, those are believers. Those are people that are truly come to faith in Christ. They are, they are truly born-again believers, and they shall not be hurt by the second death. And we know what the second death is. We read Revelation 20, 14. It says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's it. That's, you know, you down to the, we're at the very, very, very back when we get to that point. Uh, the only way to avoid this is to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. So, all right, got six minutes. All right, so here we go. In, in wrapping up this this lesson on, on the church here at Smyrna. The main point of this study is that the knowledge of Jesus must be bigger than life uh, to us. I mean, Jesus has just got to be bigger. He's got to be bigger. And, 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 if, and, if, and if he's bigger than, than, than our life, our life is going to be much better when he's bigger. If he's worth... If he's worth dying for, he's worth living for. And if he's worth living and giving our all to, he's worth dying for. I mean, it's almost cyclical in the, in the thinking. But, man, to live for the Lord, we've got to get to this place where we understand that he is bigger. He is more important than our life. Our relationship with him, that's all that matters. From there, anything else he blesses us with, we ought to be so humble and grateful for what he gives us. But our life shouldn't be about stuff and things. It ought to be about winning people to Christ. The days are short, and, and when we have opportunity to share our faith, man, we should take it. When you have an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, the good news, look, he's scared. He's wondering. Well, now's a great time. Now, I'm a, I'm a little sheltered. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm here during the week. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still witnessing to Kristen. We're praying for her. Pray. <laughs> I think it may be the other way around. She's like, preacher. Um, you know, I work, I'm in, a, I'm in a, 
an environment where I don't, I don't see a lot. I'm not around that. You guys are around people all the time. A lot of you are where you have opportunity. And a lot of people right now, they're worried about what's going on. They're worried about Ukraine. They're worried about Russia. They're worried about China. What's going to happen? Are we going into World War III? Well, let me tell you, let me tell you a way you don't have to worry about any of that. It's when you know that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you know you have been born again, and, and regardless of what happens here, your eternity is set. Folks, we ought to be taking that news everywhere we go. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to wrap up right there. I have more words there, but I'm wrap it up right there. All right, 741. Any, any, uh, any questions or comments? Brent, you just stay over here and stay quiet, okay? You, I, you, your questions... Go ahead. Nope. No, and that's where I, I was telling you. Um, and, and and I don't. I wouldn't argue with anybody about their view of the church of this. You know, uh, J. Vernon McGee. You know, I was telling you, J. Vernon McGee holds very strongly to these churches being a progression of church history. I, I don't really hold to that. Now I can see some similarities, but there's some things you got to kind of twist and work with to make those really work. But when you look at it, I believe those churches were real churches and the things he's dealing with, they were dealing with in that day right then. But I do believe that those, those were written as all scripture is written for us, for our benefit as well. And so we saw in the first church, we saw things we could see in our church. And as you look around in churches around us, right? As we look at this church, there are churches in, in the world that are, they're Smyrna. They're Smyrna. They're under that persecution, and, and, they're, and they're doing right. Um, so, yeah, they, they, there's, the Lord has nothing negative to say. There's no chastisement of them at all. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. Man, I don't know why anybody, you know, I, I, there's a church somewhere in Georgia. It's the Church of Laodicea. Why? Why would you do that? If I'm going to pick a church, I'd be Smyrna. Be Bethel. Just the house of God. Uh, I'm like, man, have y'all read the book? <laughs> just curious if you've read it. Did you read that chapter? It just sounds good. <laughs> any, any questions? All right. We'll, we'll get done then. We'll, we'll get done on time.